Hey, everybody. Mark's on vacation this week. And when dad's away, who knows what we'll say? Literally, we have no idea what we might say. But it's probably going to be curse words. So consider yourself warned. Oh, we got that Israeli ringtone. This is Mark Oppenheimer. Please leave me a message. Thank you. Hello, Mark. This is uh, Shlomo from the Mossad. We saw you yesterday at Masada. We think you're a very virile Jewish man. We have special mission just for you. Please call us uh, at your earliest convenience. Uh, you will know us by the dolphin by the beach. Go talk to the dolphin. He will take you straight to Shlomo. Hello, Jews hungover from Purim. I'm Stephanie Butnick, taking over the big boy chair while Mark Oppenheimer is in Israel with his family. I'm joined by my fellow snowflakes, Leah Leibowitz. Howdy. And our producer, Alyssa Goldstein. Good morning! They both braved sleet and hail and all sorts of biblical plagues to be here this morning in the, quote, snowstorm. Special thanks to Paul Rest of Argo Studios for keeping the doors open during this snowstorm. He is obviously a Gentile. Uh, We're celebrating the blizzard apocalypse with the very, very talented Shimon Dotan. He joins us in studio. He made the trek as well. We're excited to be talking to him. So, guys, we finally killed off Mark. I think Mark is making Aliyah. Yeah, I mean, like, you think he's going to do it now and just Mark, stay? Mark is going to be Menachem. He's going to move to a settlement, <laughs> you know? He has the appropriate number of kids for That's settlement That's true, life. but he only has one kid with him there right now. He's That's with right. his parents and his daughter, Rebecca. He can FedEx the rest of the kids over. That's true. To Ma'alei Mark or, you know, Ohel Oppenheimer or whatever he wants to call his settlement. I also feel like... He'll be the tweeest settlement in <laughs> the world. It's just like plaid. Everyone's wearing L.L. Bean and sort of like... Driving, we'll you know, see. We'll ask Shimon Dotan to Prius. like sort his settlement for him. Um, I feel like there's something about him being in Israel that's different. Like if he was like, if it was like, oh, Mark's in the Bahamas this week, right. we'd be like, what? But he has like a hall pass from God on this it's one. Mark is like the opposite of the Israel Jew. I was going to say the anti-Israel Jew, but we don't want to <laughs> slap that label on him. That's the wrong phrasing. But he's like, he is the LL Bean. He, he's like the shtetl Jew in LL Bean clothes in some ways. And I feel like... Well, he's like aspirational wasp, now like transplanted back to the homeland. Right, but like deeply intellectual and bookish. And there's just something about Mark in Israel that is so delightful. It's it's like Mr. Bean-esque almost. Yeah, aspirational wasp meets uh, perspirational angry <laughs> Jews. Guys, any fun stories from the weekend? Purim, South by Southwest, anyone do anything cool? Um, I was at South by Southwest. Please, South by. South by. SXSW. So, Leo. Did you do Purim at South by Southwest? Because oh, that happened there. That's my Mazel Tov of the week. It's so I'm Purim by South it. by Southwest. It was amazing. Um, hashtag innovate. Hashtag disrupt. <laughs> hashtag <laughs> Purim? Check. I disrupted Purim. With a and, and then innovated Purim. It was amazing. Okay, let's How do you about... innovate a tradition that's, that's hundreds of years old? Can I just to tell know. you, my, um, my dislike slash deep uh, uh, despise uh, for, for these people, despise is not a noun, but um, I really despise these fuckers. But you're there always was, there. Let me tell you. You do this stuff all yes, the time. Yes, I do. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. The, 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 the vapidness of this culture uh, is just becoming so incredibly onerous. I was the only fucking human being on a plane filled with hollow-eyed idiots who had a book on that flight, right? And every con- every panel to me, and panels in South by used to be cool. I genuinely used to love this conference, right? 
And now it's like, oh, here's how you market the brand in a time of disruption. Sponsored like, by. It felt like a Mad Lib thing. And then the sponsored by shit. Like, I get why Sony would have a booth because it's a tech conference. But I come to the Giorgio Armani tent and we will have cats and we will have Sorry, what? Kalua and we will have Brazilian models serving you acai berries. It's like, fuck that you. That sounds pretty innovative. You know, oh, come on. <laughs> I have a theory about South by Southwest, and it's the same theory that I apply to nightclubs, which is <laughs> when you go into a nightclub, I honestly believe in my like heart of hearts that 95% of people there are actually miserable. They're not having fun. Mm-hmm. Drugs help. That's so true. if you're high you might be having fun. If you're not high, you cannot be having fun. It's just it it goes against everything we know about what makes you happy. And I feel like that's the same with South by Southwest. 95% of people there are having – they're dying. They're they're just dying to get out. It's painful. It's phony. But they have to be there for some reason. 5% are really having fun. And and you can't even really do drugs at South by Southwest. Which is why, Alyssa – Right, but which is why as soon as you register and get your, like, speaker's badge – you get a card that gives you unlimited free drinks at the hospitality tent. I'm not even kidding. See, if anything, if it was really innovative, it would be like medicinal cannabis dispensary like for you guys. If it was really innovative, it would be like, hey, are you an idiot? Then you probably shouldn't be speaking here today because your panel on marketing brands in an age of Instagram is shit. And you could go tweet about that. And if you want to be here, you, you have to have done something at least a little bit worthy for humanity. But I did meet a friend of yours. Who was that? It was a wonderful Japanese woman who, if the Mashiach is around in this time and age, I think it's Marie Kondo. Yeah. I mean, last week I professed my love for Marie Kondo in I the know. newsletter. It's the one book I won't give up, even though she says I can give it up <laughs> if it no longer sparks joy. And she, I feel like she could solve every conflict, like Palestinian Israeli. Just guys, if you just folded your clothes <laughs> differently, we'd actually, if you guys just folded in half like, this way, settlements, there'd be so much more room. There's too much clutter here. Here's what we're going to do. What I, what my dresser after, after I read that book, it just changed my world. Everything's, my whole life is different. I bet you Marie Kondo would do a really good job of condoing South by Southwest. Totally. Like she would just get rid of yeah. 90% slash, of the things you don't need to Slash the go federal to. government. I mean, can you imagine President Kondo? Like the I Kondo regime? The three days of the Kondo? All right, guys. It's time for the news of the Jews. Liel, Israeli baseball update. Big poor miracle. Over over Cuba. That was my one highlight of South by Southwest. Uh, yesterday, um, the Dutch um, kind of Anne Franked us a little bit. You know, uh, temporary setback, but that's okay. We have the Japanese coming on on Wednesday. We're recording this on Tuesday, so we have the Japanese coming on tomorrow, uh, and and we will we will have revenge. Is this like a World War II style revenge a to continue percent. with this? This, this is basically a, Her- a Herman Wouke novel. What what we're living <laughs> Please, through. Please, Herman Wouke. Wouke. Joking. <laughs> Oh, Herman Woke. That's great. Yep. It's a good Twitter handle. So when does Israel play next? On Wednesday. So this will have aired by that time. This would have aired by that time. So they could be out. Stephanie, how dare you? I don't know. I just, I feel like this is... Stand with your people. Sorry, sorry. Hadassah. <laughs> I know this is Redemption really... Redemption will is, come to the Jews really... from one direction or another. And if it's not you... Forget March Madness. This is all about Adar a, Madness a here in Unorthodox. Um, all right, so Israeli company Mobileye, Liel, tell us what's going on with them. <laughs> so uh, this is amazing, right? This is like the greatest news ever out of Startup Nation. This is this company that makes um, electronic equipment that is really important in the advent of the 
self-driving car. Um, they were just purchased by Intel for $15 billion. And as happy as it makes me, like, I really have to ask, if you're going to let one culture in the world dictate the future of self-driving cars, is it really, is it really the Israelis? <laughs> I was literally taught that right of way is something you're born with. Can you imagine the Israeli self-driving car? It's like you're sitting there relaxing and all of a sudden it's like, Kasemek, it was my turn to get in the 10-way, get out of the way. It's like, who is that? Oh, that was your car. Your car is now doing 830 miles per hour, darting into the intersection, getting into fight with other cars. I would also not want to drive a self-driving car in Israel of all places. Like, you take oh the God. wrong turn and you are so screwed. That's I, right. Do you remember that story a few, from a few years ago when Waze misdirected a few, I think, American yeshiva students who were driving somewhere in the West Bank? They took a wrong turn. Right. They ended up... <laughs> In a Palestinian village and almost got lynched and was saved by one of the locals from the village who, like, very kindly took them into his home. I just, like, this could be so much more disastrous than that right. on such a bigger scale. Hi. So this is, like, the worst episode of Night Rider ever. <laughs> it's like, hi, you are now in Ramallah. Enjoy a slow, painful death. I mean, the crazy thing is, like, Waze has really revolutionized American, like, GPS driving everything. But I always want it to come with that, like, Israeli voice, just like yelling at you, like, okay. low, low, low. So it's a big Israel day, but we also got some Chelsea Clinton news. So Steve King, who represents the 4th District of Iowa, uh, retweeted something about, um, is it Geert Wilders? Is that how you say that? Geert. Oh, sorry. I, yeah. Um, I, I'm like a little congested today. Uh, the, he next, wrote, the next, the next uh, Dutch leader. Really? That's freaking oh, yeah. terrifying. A nationalist leader. Um, but good hair. Well, of course, of course. Um, so King tweets, Wilders understands that culture and demographics are our destiny. We can't restore our civilization with someone else's babies. Um, Chelsea Clinton, who's like, as of since the election, has gotten into this like kind of spicy Twitter game where she just like shades everyone. And... She, she's woke. Well, she was always woke. She is Herman woke. But she's got to be <laughs> like Marion Webster. She's Hermione woke, in, guys. Her, in terms of her tweeting. Yeah, Marion Webster is always like, like smart and sassy. Throw, yeah, she's doing that. So she retweets this and says, clearly the congressman does not view all our children as, well, all our children, particularly ironic and painful on Purim. Now Purim is just like this like political thing. You got to bring it up. Like if you're a child of someone who ran in this election, you, you have you to bring it up. Like Purim. Ivanka posted her beautiful pictures of making hamantashen with her family. Chelsea's throwing throwing down. Like what? I mean, but you can't you can't compare. Like Ivanka posts some like ridiculous photo of her making hamantashen with her children it's so cliched it's so banal and chelsea is uh, like Alyssa, this is america one person gave you harsh political commentary the other gave you photos of pastry which do you think is winning this election <laughs> hello o oppenheimer this is shlomo you got my message <laughs> i did not hello shlomo Moppy, what's going on? We miss you. Hey, guys. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Come on. You don't act doing? surprised like we're, we're prank calling you. Of course we are. Live from New York. <laughs> it's Tuesday morning. What's going on? What are oh, you doing? Oh, my Lord. I'm on the beach in Tel Aviv. Ah, paint a picture I, for us. Are you shirtless at the moment? I am not shirtless at the moment. I'm, I am I'm waiting. My, my, my pants rolled up. I've been waiting in the water. Oh, I oh. want to see a selfie of Mark at yeah, the beach. Can you send us yeah. a Ideally shirtless. Take off your right. shirt. Are you very hairy? I imagine you're pretty hairy. Medium hairy. I'm not hairy enough that it's like my defining feature. All right, but, listen. You know, this is what is your defining feature? His good hair. <laughs> what have we been doing? We 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 got in. 
there was Shabbat dinner at my mom's first cousin Judy's house in, in Jerusalem. Of course in, there was. In East, in East Talpiot. Uh, then there was, uh, next day there was Old City, et, et, et cetera. And then my mother went to Yerocham, the settlement where my cousin is the rabbi. And then we did, uh, we went to, um, we went to uh, Tel Maresha up in uh, Beit Guvrin Park and, and did the archaeological dig and found some shards. That was awesome. And we had super cool Sabra, like rolled up her sleeves, like ruddy, red-haired, uh, archaeological doctoral student guide named Lena, who was like, you know, my next big crush, leaving us in all this. And then... Lena from uh, St. Petersburg. Lena from Odessa, actually. Okay, there you have it. Yeah. Have some respect. Lena from Odessa. And then we went to Tel Aviv last night, and we had dinner at um, Vong, the Vietnamese restaurant on, on Storot Rothschild. And uh, here we are. Well, we miss we you. We're when's glad the, we're when's you're the having listener meetup? So the listener meetup, which listeners could still get in on, is Friday night at, at 8 p.m. at DC Cleta in Tel Aviv. And um, I'm going to make a oh, Facebook event of- page. Just if you're listening, you can check it out. Thank you. Facebook and the page. most important thing is we saw a dog on the beach that looks exactly like Archie. There's an Israeli shelter rescue dog who was here with her dog sitter who is Archie's doppelganger. Who's Archie's Israeli doppelganger. And it's so beautiful. Like, if Archie made Aliyah. He'd have a, he'd have a bestie. For a moment there, I thought it was JJ yeah, reincarnate. Yeah. No. You thought JJ was reincarnated in, in uh, the promised land? So do the sisters miss each other? Like, what's going on? Yeah, there's a lot of text back and like... Sid just sent me a text. So they have a snow day in New Haven, right? And Sid just sent me a text saying that Clara said to her, if Rebecca and JJ were here, this would be perfect. But, like, not they're dad? All, they're, they're all, like, snuggled in mom's bed on a snow day. It is interesting. They didn't want me to be there. There was nothing about daddy. It was just that JJ and Rebecca were here. The other thing to be said is the whole Tel Aviv versus Jerusalem thing is very real. These cities are crazy different. Yeah, like, so you're finally understanding what Liel's, like, that Liel tapped really into something. Am. And here's the thing. I feel like I'm 50% Jerusalem, 50% Tel Aviv. I can say that. You love religion. You know? Yeah. And I, but I, I, and I, I like having it around me. Like, I like, it's interesting. It makes life vital. When we were hypothesizing and, about what you'd be doing right now, I was like, he's found a group of Christian tourists in the old city, and he's interrogating them about what churches yeah. they go to back <laughs> in the United States. So we flew over the whole plane. I guess Haredi flies... Out, right? Because there was no davening on the plane or anything when we when the sun came up. The whole plane, the whole Delta plane, was a tour group sponsored by Southern Baptist Theological, no, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And they had people from they had Latin American Pentecostals with them. They had church ladies from the Midwest, but it was a New Orleans Baptist thing. And it was just all, it was such a weird vibe. It's like they were all going to see Jesus. Like, there was, it was so Like the other Israel. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. being on LL they were is all a like, totally different experience. Yeah, yes. and I'm kind of regretting I didn't go. Oh, oh my god, it's the worst. No, no one yeah, sits not down. Slash the they absolute stand best the whole time. Love it. But the good news is, if you're a woman, everyone will just like keep their distance from you, That's so you don't get shoved <laughs> too completely. No, but other people hand you their babies. Really, That's what they do mm-hmm. just hold my baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Mark, do you miss us? Like, we obviously miss you. Like, we're talking a big game here, but here we are calling no, you. This is terrible. Look, this this is not home. Like, I'm not making Aliyah. You know, home is home is. New York, New Haven. I'm a New Englander. I'm a Northeasterner. This is beautiful. Guys, what I pay up. He's not, one... he's not making Aliyah. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, you know, I want an apartment right here. I would be a new Tel Aviver. I mean, the answer is that this beach, the coffee shop scene, the bookstore. Like, this is a real city. It's the bubble. You want to be in the bubble. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Thank you. Me yeah. too. 
That's exactly right. It's, I am right now in the Brooklyn bubble, but with a better beach than Coney Island. All right, Mark. Thanks for talking to us. But here's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) You can take the man out of Argo Studios. (laughs) Here's the thing. I'm I'm perplexed. When we get back, we have to have a long talk with Liel because he's kind of a Jerusalem guy, but he insists he's not. Excuse me? It is like the great paradox. Say what? Because he is this like religious, Talmudic soul. Yeah. And he wants to stay up till all hours thinking weird mystical things. I mean, he's so Jerusalem. He's actually more like a spot guy. Yeah, but I, I um, you know, <laughs> but, like to live like a normal fucking human being. Matt, but Mark, I have a question. You've been there for a few days now, and this happens to me whenever I go to Israel, which is a place that I love, but wouldn't want to make, wouldn't want to make Aliyah, wouldn't want to live there. But there's a moment a few days in when all of a sudden I do feel genuinely imbued with the Zionist spirit. Like you're and, like, I could do this. And it's like, oh my God, I could do this. And it's like everything from like my very standard modern orthodox Zionist education comes like back trickles to me. Back in. And I'm just wondering if you've had that moment yet, that moment of like, you know, the, the, it's the golden hour, the sun is setting, yes. it's beautiful, there are all these good-looking Jews around you, and you're just like, mm, but maybe I could do this. It, it did make me think, yes, today when I was walking around with Rebecca and, and it, I was hit by that, like, oh my God, Jews everywhere. And they are all two inches taller. I don't understand. It's like, it's two generations, but... It's all that. And I think uh, our nutrition is milk. good. And the bamba. And, and the tahini. <laughs> it is it's the bamba. It's, yes. I, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm so American. I'm aware of what a failure I'd be in any other country, but it's making me think, like, okay, Scotland's not my second country. Like, maybe I'm glad we got that cleared up, though. Hmm. Um, all right, yeah. Mark, we got we to gotta get to some letters. We got, we got things to do, but we really we miss you, you. And everyone should make it this to the meetup. my morning. I'm going to send you some pictures. Okay, Bye-bye. perfect. Bye. It's time for that mailbag. Uh, We got a lot of notes in response to last week's conversation about the conservative movement allowing non-Jews to become synagogue members, and we are definitely going to address it. (laughs) We're just going to wait till Mark gets back. Um, Once he gets out of the Dead Sea, uh, we'll we'll get to it. This is Mark territory. Yeah, yeah, that's for him. Um, In the meantime, here are some goodies. This one's for me. Hi, Stephanie. On last week's podcast, you mentioned your initials are STB, and so are mine. I love the podcast and so appreciate my fellow STB as the feminine voice of the show. It sounds tough to get a word in edgewise with those guys. No, it's not. Editor's note, it is. I had to get rid of Mark just to talk this week. Um, I absolutely love the podcast. It makes me feel more Jewish each time I listen. I just started listening about a month ago and I'm slowly working my way back through the older episodes. It's odd to hear old episodes where Trump was just a weirdo and not the actual president of the United States. I know I will be sad when I finish listening to the first episode. Trump is also still just a weirdo. And also the president, the president of the United, of the United States. States. <laughs> and we'll only have to listen to we'll only have to listen to you all once a week. Hang in there, sister, and keep up the entertaining yet thought provoking work. Sincerely, Stacy Tenenbaum Blaze, STB, Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, uh... um, all right. So this one is titled "Please Pinch Leibowitz." Can one of y'all please pinch Le- Liel every time he refers to Judaism as a re- quote religion? God told Avraham that he would make his descendants quote a great nation, Goy Gadol. Jews are a people, a tribe, a nation. Let's leave quibbling over religion to the rest of humanity. Yeah, no, you're right. There's absolutely no historical basis uh, to argue that Judaism may be a religion. No body of work, no historic uh, connotation, no you know belief system there, uh, no Bible. That's 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 a that's an intelligent comment. Okay, it's hold not on. an either but or. At per Dory Magal's request, I'm going to pinch you. Can I, uh, can I you, your could, arm? you could pinch me. The ceremonial pinching. I haven't actually pinched someone in a long time. It. I am now pinched. Right. 
We don't do quite as much pinching as we probably ought to. The best picture from my childhood is of my sister and I. We both have like our hair all done up and like we're wearing funny outfits. We have our hair like in a bunch of little little funny pins. And she has her arm around me and her other arm around my waist. And in both hands, you can see she's like visibly pinching my skin. Like you can actually see, but you don't notice it up close first. It looks like this really sweet picture. And then you just see like, oh, it's amazing. Should we create it at your wedding? Yeah, my grandparents have it hanging up. Um, Okay, letter number three. This is a good one. Dear Unorthodox, I really enjoy your podcast. Thanks for introducing me to Molly Yeh. I'm looking forward to checking out her cookbook and perhaps getting to see her when she makes it to the cities sometime. Parentheses, rural speak for the Twin Cities. I grew up making lefse for Christmas and hot dish year-round on a farm in southwestern Minnesota where my brother Eric, a Norwegian bachelor farmer, continues to live. Eric? Eric the bachelor farmer? E-R-I-K. It's good. That's very Norwegian. kind of hot, right? I like him. Alyssa? Yeah, I mean, it's also good to like, you know, mix up the gene pool. So she says, in addition to being Scandinavian, ethnically and culturally, I am also Jewish, religiously and culturally. Though perhaps not as well known as Asian Jews, in Minnesota, we like to think that our Scandinavian Jewish children are also a great mix. There are lots of Lutherans and ex-Lutherans at our synagogue, she writes. After we lived in Brooklyn and the Bay Area for 11 years, my Massachusetts-bred husband willingly agreed to move back to Minnesota where we met in college and where he now works at the JCRC of Minnesota and the Dakotas. This year's Lakas and Lefsa JCRC Hanukkah party was at the American <laughs> Swedish Institute in Minneapolis. Can I say the JCRC of the Dakotas? <laughs> Sounds Minnesota and amazing. the Dakotas. So the Lakas went fast, the Lefsa not so much, and we were fortunate to end up with the leftovers. If you're hamantashing out, admittedly hard to do, maybe you can give Lefsa a try. I think a road trip and a show in Minnesota or North Dakota is a great idea. Let me know if you'd like to visit the farm. Yes. We would, definitely. Yes. And I want to meet Eric. Yes. Skull and Shalom, Naomi Dean, Plymouth, Minnesota. Unbelievable. As, we are, we're there. Yes. We need to travel to the Dakotas. I, really, I feel like, like Grand Forks is like my spirit home. I, I want to be on that farm. I would like to be on that farm. Liel and I will eat all of the lefsa because one thing we have in common is that we both think lacquers are overrated. Well, I'm I'm your disciple in that matter. Thank I, you. My, my, my rage uh, has never really been kind of captured until you came out with that clear, brave thesis. You can that, call me Rabbanit Goldstein. That's a it's always been my dream. shit holiday food. I mean, we haven't really like tried lefsa, so I feel like we can get to this whole thing. It's better than latkes. I, I, it's sight unseen. It's a, it's a low bar to clear. Yeah, it is. All right, guys, as ever, write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Remember, go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate us. Oh, I got a letter. Can I share oh, yeah, quickly yeah, my yeah. letter? I just, this is, guys, Yay. I got a letter, and this is the very first unorthodox letter that has been addressed specifically to me, which was just very exciting because I'm like here behind the scenes. I'm like, I'm like the Roz on the other side of the screen. You have on the other arrived. Side of the window. I've arrived. Joel Pliskin emailed me because he has a son who has a girlfriend who lives in Canberra and he wanted information about the Canberra Jewish community. Does it even exist? I can say, yes, it does. Canberra is Australia's capital. It's not the most. It is? It is. Isn't it bad that I don't know that? Most people don't know that. I mean, it's like it's like Ottawa as well. Like it's 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 a, it's a city that was is founded that to be. That's Canada's capital? That's Canada's ca- capital. What? Anyway, there is a Jewish community in Canberra. I was honoured to give him some advice on it. And um, what's I don't the know. one thing you need to know about the Canberra Jewish community? Um, oh, this is actually really you want interesting. It for survival. So it's it's tiny, and the uh, Orthodox and progressive communities share the synagogue and the space. So it's like a nice little model of diversity. But and hold on, but Judaism is not a religion; it's a people. So hold why on, do they need a shared you. space? Synagogue. Right? Yeah. I'm trying to pinch you, but you're too far. I'm unpinchable. My pitch paid off again down at the county jail. They had me in there for fussing and raising a whole lot of 
disturbed. The secretary that wrote me up, you know I pinched her too? She said, you don't have to worry, Mr. King. I'll pay all of your bond for you. Oh, the pinch paid off. Without any cause, my pinch paid off. So we're pleased to have with us today Shimon Dotan. Uh, he's an award-winning Israeli film director, screenwriter, and producer. Born in Romania, Shimon made Aliyah as a 10-year-old with his family in 1959. He's lived in the U.S. since 1987. Is that true? Well, more or less. It's more or less. On, off. He's, he's lived Israel, on and off. The U.S. and Israel. Yeah, so you've been, so you, but you've been sort of out of Israel for the for the last 20 years, basically, in and out. Yes, yes. Um, so The Settlers is uh, Shimon's second documentary. It premiered at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival. It tells the story of the settlement movement over the last 50 years, from its religious roots to its national expression today. Um, and it's told from the perspectives of the settlers themselves, placing the movement's growth within a historical, cultural, and political context. I have to ask, why take this topic on? It's such a third rail culturally, politically. What made you want to sort of jump in and take it on? Why not? Uh, I think it's the hottest and the most important, the most meaningful topic to the very existence of the state of Israel. Being an Israeli, I will do anything I can to protect it. Important how? Say say more. I mean, it becomes very clear once you see the movie, which uh, every person listening to this podcast absolutely must, by rabbinical decree, do. But um, (laughs) tell us, what, what, what do you think is at stake here? Rabbi Liel. I, I have a feeling that everyone that looks at the way that Israel evolved uh, in two phases, from 48, 49 until 1967, and from 67 on, can see two different trajectories of what the state of Israel could have been and what it has become, and even more concerning, where it is going from here. The, the settlement enterprise and everything that it entails and uh, all the powers that uh, it attracted and, uh, and transformed the essence of Zionism, the essence of statehood for Israel, uh, are alarming. Uh, one of the major, if not the most major of them all, is the infiltration of religion into politics. And that alone is enough to completely destabilize uh, the country. In a way that um, religious decrees or beliefs are guiding policies, do you mean it like that? Or do you see something more kind of systemic? No, I think that religion has no business in politics. And the moment that you allow religion to infiltrate politics, for example, in the immediate uh, example of the settlement enterprise, uh, something very clear happens. Uh, Number one, the, the conflict ceased to be a territorial conflict and it became a religious conflict. Once it became a religious conflict, it's uh, one that is cannot be solved. You can divide land, you can divide water, but you cannot divide belief, you cannot and, and divide you sanctity. And you don't buy the argument that for the other side, it's always been a religious conflict. No, absolutely not. I don't think it has never been the case. It's something that we encourage, but, you know, we shape each other by the space that we allow or deny from each other. And that, you know, Herzl should be awarded as, uh, should be recognized as the founder of the Palestinian nationhood. Before Zionism, there was no Palestinian nationhood. So, you know, it's, it's all a, a tango. We all shape each other by spa- sharing the space. But the other thing that happens when a religion infiltrates politics, infiltrates this particular conflict, is that uh, instead of being a, a regional, a local conflict, it became an international, a worldwide conflict. So it's not anymore Israelis against Palestinians, it's uh, Muslims against Jews. 
and 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 the, the the sort of budding of the PLO, which you acknowledge in 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 the movie happening, sort of like you know in 1963, 1964, that that to you is kind of a, is a side uh, track. It's a it's a distraction because because these Palestinian nationalist uh, you know violent visions were in place well before the Six Day War. Of course, and you know, I, I recognize them, and I recognize the need to reach an agreement, a peaceful agreement with the inhabitants of the land. And we have to look at it from present time. At present time, we have peace with Egypt, we have peace with Jordan. Uh, we can find a place in the region, and what is required is to find a way to live in peace with the 2.8 Palestine, million Palestinians in the West Bank, 2 million Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, and the, the 1.5 or less Palestinians in the state of Israel. In the absence of that, Israel is not going to do well. So, so this is, you know, the weird thing, I think, about watching the film. This thesis that, that you're putting out, uh, with which, you know, listeners of the show will not be surprised to learn that I firmly disagree, uh, is is clear, uh, but at the same time, and, and this I think is the ultimate testament to your to your you know immense talent as a filmmaker. You watch these people, uh, and they are eminently likable people. I mean, they are they come across as idealistic, thoughtful, uh, uh, kind of you know almost visionaries. Did you have a moment while making this film, sitting there with with one of your subjects, saying like, I kind of get you, I kind of understand what you're saying. But of course, yeah. and I do, yeah. and I wish the reality would be the reality they envision, that they dream of it to be. But on the ground, it's a very different reality. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I have a great passion and great love for the land that I see, and I, thought, I, I think that the film expresses it in a, in a distinct way. I, I made an effort to Absolutely. Sh- to, to show the, the beauty of the land, and many of the people that I saw there in they are my brothers. But they do, in my view, a detrimental thing to the state of Israel by not recognizing that this land is not only ours. And, it, and if we do not recognize that, I think that we doom ourselves to an eternal uh, conflict. So the film opens with um, you asking some of the subjects uh, who live in places like Hebron or Judea and Samaria whether they are settlers. Very simple question. And you don't get simple answers from them. You some say it's semantic. Some say uh, I'm an inhabitant. Like there's sort of this 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 linguistic thing happening. What? Why did you decide to start the film that way? And what struck you about their answers? Well, I, I've been looking for a, a starting point that uh, seemed to be at the same level for everyone, and I assume that I will get different answers because the the term settler. Uh, that started as, as, as a, a uh, definition at, uh, in 1967, 68, evolved during the years into something that has uh, negative connotations. And uh, some people are accepting it or are willing to, to, be, to define themselves as settlers and be proud of it. Some recognize that it may have some negative connotation and try to explain it and try to uh, either charge it or discharge it from meaning. But... I think mostly is because I did try to tell the film from the standpoint of the settlers. And uh, I'd say it's, 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 uh, for me, it's a way to approach a documentary film uh, that will allow the material that I bring to the screen to reach the viewer in a less uh, filtrated way that 
I can. Uh, if I am here to express a political standpoint, I do not need to make a film. I can write an essay. I can publish a pamphlet. I can stand in the street with a big sign and say I'm against the settlement. But that's not the film. The film is, I hope, is an exploration of the people on the ground, of the phenomenon. And it's complex. And as much as I'm against the settlement enterprise, I do recognize uh, its origins. I do recognize the affection of people to the land, uh, the devotion that they have. And many of them are doing that with great personal sacrifice. But it does not change my political standpoint. I do hope that by bringing their voices, I wouldn't say unfiltered, you know, you do a film, you uh, inevitably, you, you, you express, you are biased. And I am biased. I do not deny it and I do not hide it in the film. But I did hope to bring the reality to the viewers so they will be those who will conduct almost a direct dialogue with the people on the screen. Um, so one thing that really struck me when the film ended was that if you are not a, if you are a person who does not see the world in a messianic lens you are not religious <clears throat> and you don't believe that there is a plan that god has for you and your people you don't believe that there is going to be a messiah that comes you don't believe that you know the land was given to the jewish people in the torah and obviously all religions have some kind of messianic view it it just seems to me that there are two groups of people talking to each other in terms of Israelis, secular Israelis and more religious messianic Israelis living in the West Bank with these two completely opposite frameworks and visions and ways of seeing and understanding the world. And that seems to me to be the insoluble un or unsolvable problem that, that it's at the crux of the issue because that guides, that vision guides so many practical political realities. And I'm guess I'm just curious to know if you think that there is a solution that can bridge that that gap between those two parties. Let me ask you, do you believe in the Messiah? No, I don't. I think that your question actually articulates much better than I did at the beginning of our conversation, the absolute necessity to separate religion from state. Everyone has of course, the full right to believe whatever he believes in, religion, a messiah, a various forms of religion. But the personal belief will not instruct the state how to draw a line on the border, how to conduct its health system, and how to uh, pave roads uh, uh, to serve the public. Once you apply religion belief into practical matter, once you impose religious belief with the protection of a gun or the help of a gun, you do a terrible disservice to both, to the religion and to the state. And the answer to your question, in my view, is very simple. Separate religion from state. And so what does a Jewish state mean to you? Well, I don't think... You have a lengthy discussion about this in the movie that is very... Yes, uh, well, I... <laughs> it, it, I don't know how much time do we have. We probably need something like eternity and a little bit more. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because Zionism started as a secular enterprise with one major concept, to provide safe heaven to persecuted Jews. At no point in time, it attempted to provide fulfillment of biblical prophecies or to hasten the arrival of the Messiah. Messiah is future time, and that's the beauty of it, and that's the essence of it. And I do believe in that concept. It 
places you in a, in, a, in the world in a way that it's you have always to do better in order to uh, to deserve or, or to aspire to something that will come in the future. But it's always a future time. The moment that you materialize it, it loses its essence. It has no meaning, in my view. Uh, so. As Zionism started as a secular enterprise with the very definitive distinction of providing safe heaven to persecuted Jews, the state, in my view, evolved in a very positive and, and uh, organic way. And there was room for religion, individuals and non-religious. The moment that religion started to take over, we created a split in the society that is actually emphasizing all the other subdivisions in a very destructive way. See, this is this is where we would have a disagreement because I, I see Zionism as a hundred percent a religious messianic movement, which is why so many of us still, you know, six decades after the birth of the state of Israel, define ourselves as Zionists simply because our project isn't over. Which is unsurprisingly also why I tend to uh, sympathize with the settlers. But I have a different question, uh, which is about the reception. Um, this film has received internationally. Uh, the the reviews have been, for the most part, very positive. It's well deserved. It's an amazing film. Um, but you had some run ins with people who are not fans of the state of Israel. D- do you want to tell us about your your faith yes. in, in the academic world and and being disinvited from yes, screenings? Yes. Well, uh, let me start by saying that I'm coming. Yesterday night, I just returned from London while I, I, I attended the screenings of the film there. And uh, the audience in London is very different than the audience in New York and in Tel Aviv. I was quite surprised. First of all, many of them were young young people, which was refreshing. Many of them were non-Jews or Israelis, which I meet in New York and actually even in Israel. Uh, and the tone was quite uh, aggressive. Well, the general response was, was, was very good. But there were quite a few in the audience that had a very strong attack towards Israel. And I found myself, not out of choice, but out of necessity, uh, defending uh, uh, the government of Israel, even though I do not think that that's uh, that probably the, I'm the last one. No to, good deed goes yes, unpunished. No good news for Bibi if I'm the one that has to defend. Right. So uh, there is a sentiment, of course, that is, is uh, quite strong against Israel. And we have to convince the world and our friends and our foes that the government of Israel is not the state of Israel. Governments changes and Israel with quite many not very good things that happened there, it's still a democracy and governments changes. And if we oppose the government, it does, mean, does not mean that we oppose the state. Right, but when screenings of your film are canceled on American campuses because lunatic lefties say, you know, we, are, we refuse to see any Israeli film, does that not make you feel like, well, these people seem to make no distinction, as you said. They seem to have some sort of irrational hatred of me and everything I represent, and there's a name for that yeah, age-old feeling. You're right. Well, I was late last year. I was invited to a, an academic uh, conference at Syracuse University, uh, for uh, the topic was religion and film. A month or two after my inv- initial invitation, I received an email uh, disinviting me from the person at Syracuse, and uh, she says that uh, she's concerned that the pressure of BDS in campus will make my presence there and her inviting me very unpleasant, and she has to uh, disinvite me. And she was actually <laughs> remarkably uh, honest, saying that she did not have a chance yet to see the film. And I thought that's really 
that's uh, the problem. Uh, well, it's it's Acad- everything. Academia, it's like, like, yeah. Of course, she hasn't. Like, they, no one's seen the film to, before they even criticize it. It makes no sense. Uh, so no, but it was very evident. I was disinvited, probably not because I'm a Jew, but because I'm Israeli. So that's upgrade. Uh, and that <laughs> was that was quite terrible. And of course, that if if I had any doubts before about BDS and about boycott in general, I, it, it, that was uh, that was very clear. Then, I, you know, yeah, it, it's it's bad. But I think that the way that Jews Israelis should approach this topic is not by attacking those who attack Israel, who attack Jews, whatever. Yes, of course, we should be on the guard always, but by doing the right thing but doing good. And I think that by ignoring the presence of 2.8 million Palestinians in the West Bank, in a reality that is very, uh, uh, you know, there is a disparity of 1 to 20 in economic status between Israelis and Palestinians in the West Bank. You have one body of the population that has free movement, enjoy uh, all the rights uh, in the land, and another, which is the majority, that is deprived that of That lives under threats. the Palestinian Authority, which is a murderous autocratic regime. I would refrain from making uh, statements like that. I, I don't think I that mean, you... Yeah. But yeah, you can make it. You, know, you have the microphone, and the moment I leave here, you can say about me everything you want, but it will not make it constructive in your attempt to better or to benefit the state of Israel. That's right. This is this is why I'm very happy we're having this dialogue because I think your film is really the rare work of of political religious themed art which was uh, as you said very clear about its convictions but also extremely um open-hearted, right? Uh, in its attempt to really have this dialogue and and I see this pe- these people uh and and again I think that what you said is precisely right. You have a dialogue with him, but but I want to ask about the the entity that is the real star of this film because it, that still blows my mind. How'd you get this light? Oh, it's so beautiful. It's unreal. It's it, like almost like God is shining and down. Can I, can, I, almost, but, can I tag my question just onto that? Those amazing aerial shots, which I'm guess came with a were done with a drone, which. Or captures that yeah. light. I would, I would like to know how you got those as well. If you can reveal the secret, <laughs> I think that the secret is known to everybody. God is there. God <laughs> is you know, that was the the biblical light <laughs> merged with a contemporary Just light. Turn on your camera. And, uh, so I have a question that you've sort of touched on, but I but I want to delve a little bit deeper. And it's a question that you ask one of the subjects in the film, who's a very interesting character. It's um Shimon Palmer, who. If if you see the film, you should Google him. He's an interesting fellow. He is not observant, but he lives in... I mean, he doesn't wear a kippah, but he lives in Tekoa. His brother and his nephew were murdered in very tragic circumstances. And yeah, he sort of yeah. fashioned himself as a bit of a peace activist in in that area, if you will, or from what I've read. And But you ask him a really interesting question. You say to him, are you a Zionist? And he says no, like definitively. And I, I want to flip that question back to you and the questions about identity that you ask the subjects of your film also at the beginning of the film. Are you a Zionist? You ask me if I'm a Zionist? Yeah. Absolutely, yes. I'm a Zionist. I'm a proud Zionist. Uh, but now you have to ask me, what does it mean being a Zionist? Yes. So ask me. <laughs> so what does it mean to you to be a Zionist? Well, I heard it from Moshe Halbertal, and I thought it was a beautiful way to frame it. Uh, he said, 
actually it's in my conversation with him, but he did not make it into the final cut of the film. He explains that he said that Zionism for him is the right of Jews for self-determination and at the same time to uh, to uh, accept this right for the people that are amongst us that are not Jews. So it's for us the, 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 the opportunity to declare ourselves as, as, as a Jewish state, but at the same time, we should recognize the same right to the Palestinians that are our neighbors. We cannot deny that right from other ethnic groups. Uh, and and so I have to ask you, uh, and and this is like a, an emotional question, right? So um, you, we're talking definitions here and and how we see the future of Israel, uh, but at least if uh, electoral politics are any real good guide uh, to where the majority of Israelis stand, so the majority of Israelis hold uh, views that are much closer to to mine, meaning. Uh, very comfortable with with the you know specifically religious uh, uh, character of the state. Uh, comfortable with political decisions that uh, very much include Judea and Samaria. Um, comfortable with many of the government's policies. Um, where are you emotionally? I mean, you you made this film, and it's as I said, even though we we disagree, it's a very brave attempt to kind of grapple with the subject. Are are you? Are you De- desperate? Are you? Have you given up hope? Are you looking at what's going on in Israel? Because you also live here in New York, right? I imagine it's a weird dynamic, kind of being immersed and not immersed. I, I live the same drama myself, but do you have any hope that your particular vision of the future uh, will play out? Absolutely, yes. It's not I have hope. I have a conviction that that's what's going to happen for one and only one reason. There is no other alternative that will enable Israel to exist as a democratic state. And the moment that Israel will cease being a democratic state, it loses completely its right of existence. Even though, uh, uh, I forget who it is, but one of the characters in your film said something like, okay, you know, democracy is 180 mm. years old, and our way of life's been here for a little bit longer. Yeah, that's Moti Karpel, yeah. a very thoughtful uh, man. He, he's a Choser B'Tshuva. Yes, he says democracy was not here, was not in existence about 200 years ago, and probably it will not be here in the next 200 years. That terrifies you? No, it doesn't terrify me. I think that it's not a probability that we should entertain. I think that, as, as I said a moment ago, if Israel will cease being a democratic state, it will lose its right of existence. And if we consider the inception of Zionism as as the nascent ideas that, that created this wonderful concept. And uh, for, with Herzl, he always emphasized the uh, issue of democracy. And, uh, you know, for me coming, I was born in Romania, as Stephanie mentioned, and uh, I lived through a very violent anti-Semitic uh, period that I cannot say that I experienced it very much as a child, but I know it from my parents. I know that... Uh, the, uh, uh, my father was called Jidan mm-hmm. by the Romanians, and I saw how he was deflated, how he, he was, you know, his back was a bit bent. And uh, at, at our home, uh, every now and then I would hear, uh, uh, oh, don't, don't worry, just a stinky anti-Semite. And there were many stinky anti-Semites. And it's hard to understand when you are a Jew living out of Israel, a uh, 
how your existence would feel in the absence of Israel as a democratic state. Uh, and I happened to live through this experience, mostly through my parents. I saw how their immediate life experience changed when they could uh, attach themselves to an entity that gave them a sense of belonging and a sense of security. And the moment that we jeopardized this project that we call it Israel, as it was in its inception, I think that we are playing here a very a dangerous game with history. We, as Jews, live through this cycle of uh, 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 exile and redemption. We did it twice. We did it two and a half times. Let's stop it here. As we say in Yudav Shamron, Inshallah. Inshallah, my friend. Thank you so much, Shimon. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. It was fascinating. Rock on. Time to welcome some new subscribers to our newsletter. This week, it's the law firm of Shana Bolton, Mindy Rappaport, who identifies as Oscafardic, Lauren Goldhirsch, Tal Donzig, Bob Dearborn, Jeremy Crones, and Michael Postal Barons Levine Schwartz. We need to talk about Michael Postal Barons Levine Schwartz. He sent us a copy of his driver's license to prove that this is, in fact, I know his Michael name. Postal Baron Levine I have Schwartz. to say, though, his, his license plate cuts off at Michael Postal Barons Lev. Yeah. So who is he? Alyssa, who is, who's that person? Okay. You've, you've dated him, right? Uh, Briefly. But, I, but I'm not his type. I'll tell you why. So I know Michael. Um, he is young. Uh, he's quite handsome. And he is a serial monogamist living in the south of Florida. So he was obviously born Michael Postel, but he's been married three times and widowed twice. So all of his wives were or are wealthy widowed retirees. Which is um, why he took on their name. Which is why he took on their name, because he's also sense. a very woke feminist. Yes. He, <laughs> um, he met them all he's in the He's smashing the patriarchy in, in his in his yeah. person. And so every time he marries one of them, he takes on their last name to honour the brief but precious time they will have together until... That time ends by his beloved wife's death. And he has a New, a New York driver's license They're because also, he maintains a residence in New York, right. even though he only marries women who are elderly living in Florida. They're also all Holocaust survivors. Yes. He's, he's never forgetting. No. Every time he writes his name down, I want to say... <laughs> every time he takes out his driver's every, license. I imagine him taking the SAT was hard because I could barely fit like Stephanie Taylor Budnick. That was, that's like 25 characters. This was tough. I want to say also that Michael made it hard for us to figure out anything about him because he sent us his driver's license, but but sort of like blocked out all the relevant data, like not even his license number. Like it was just his name and his picture. Um, yeah, that, that really made the identity theft very difficult. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> to get the newsletter, sign up at tabletmag.com or send an email asking for it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. And please subscribe to Unorthodox on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get fine free podcasts like ours. Rate us on iTunes. Don't miss an episode. All right, guys, what a day. Do we have any Mazel Tovs this week? I do. Um, I'm going to take, in the spirit of the current American government, the nepotism route for my Mazel Tov. My Mazel Tov is for my cousin Sophie Klein, a.k.a. Little Wise. That's her, like, musical outfit's name. Um, but unlike Donald Trump's family, my family is genuinely talented, so I feel comfortable with this move. Oh. Yep. Um, she just released an album called Silver Birch, which is really good. If you're into Aussie folk music... Like the wife's Paul Kelly, and you'll who like isn't? it. I mean, really. I mean, 
who doesn't want to hear lovely tunes about making Aussie folk gravy like, in an Australian um, accent? Time you can't give it down, right? Is no, that, is that what it is? no, it's poetry. It's poetry. Um, anyway, her website is littlewise.com.au. She just had a song played on Triple J, which is like the hip Australian youth radio station, kind of like NPR. Um, so, yeah, check hip, it out. Hip youth radio station, <laughs> kind of like It's things national. are backwards there. Okay, I see. That's amazing. That's so exciting. And yeah, I love NPR, to be NPR's okay. tiny desk concerts are pretty, pretty hip. I know. Here we are, like, sitting in a studio making fun of NPR. Like Speaking of hip, <laughs> you know who is hip AF? Who? <laughs> Rabbi Mordechai Lightstone of Chabad, who threw the greatest, also the only, but also the greatest Purim party at South by Southwest this oh, year. I love that. And it was so amazing to just come to this random place in Austin and have a, a DJ play like the latest Israeli music and a rabbi who was like 14 read the Megillah after like 17 shots of vodka and just like a bunch of beautiful Jews hanging out in costume and having a great time. Were there groggers? Not only were there groggers, there was a Hamantaschen fondue station. There was what? like a chocolate fountain into which you dipped your Hamantaschen. Was there a grogger app? <laughs> yeah, everyone just held their phones up. There was a, a, an app called you just Grogger, press a button. <laughs> which is like the grinder for religious Jews on Purim. Um, before I get to my Mazda, I want to say that Mark, people just want to grog. <laughs> Mark's, been, Mark's been, te- per our request, Mark has been texting us. There's here's a picture of a shirtless man in Tel Aviv. Um, here's <laughs> a picture of, of of the Archie doppelganger, oh, the doppelganger, and Rebecca. And here's a picture of Rebecca doing a cartwheel. Yay. And I think that girl is staying there. Yeah. That girl, that girl not girl coming, back. coming back. All right. My Mazel Tov is to listener Howard Lieberman, the proud new grandfather of baby Nora. He played her an episode of Unorthodox and reports back that, quote, it put her to sleep and made her poop. <laughs> so well, well done. Well done, us. That's Nor- about put her to sleep as you guys. Made her poop. Definitely me. <laughs> Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine online at tabletmag.com. Special thanks this week to Alyssa Goldstein for filling in as co-host. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin. Rabbinic supervision by the snow angel I made outside, kosher slaughtering by Heyman. Psych! Find Tablet Magazine on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at, at @tabletmag. Our music is by Golem. We record at the Blizzardproof Argo Studios. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. Ugh, I just have like newfound respect for Mark, and I hate that. Yeah, I hate <laughs>